0: Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's good to see you here this morning. Glad you made it. They're telling us today may be a a bad weather day. And, uh, you know, that usually affects people's willingness to get out and and, uh, venture into the house of God. I'm glad you braved the weather and came anyway, and we'll just see uh, what the weather decides to do. You know, sometimes you, you make preparations and, and uh, you make the plans and it doesn't even happen. You know, I guess it's safe to err on the side of caution, uh, depending on what it is. Uh, but today is supposed to be just some thunder and rain and stuff like that, so nothing too serious. I'm glad you made it and came anyway. First Timothy chapter 4, if you found your place, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. We'll look at just one verse, verse 12. 1 Timothy 4, and verse 12. Let's pray together and then we'll read. Father, how we thank you today for the privilege to gather in your house, Lord, to, to gather among friends, and uh, Lord, to open your word. We pray you'll bless the reading of your word t- this morning and, and the, the, the sharing of Scripture and the, the truths that we'll uncover. And we pray, dear Holy Spirit, that you'll just bless the reading of your word, that you'll guide our thoughts and minds. As we receive the Word of God today, Lord, may we receive it in faith. And Lord, may we receive it as truth. And we ask you to do your work in our hearts, and our lives. Encourage us, instruct us, strengthen us, Lord. Correct us where needed. Guide us with your Word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. We're in a series entitled Words from God's Word. We're on the letter E today, and our word from this verse is example. And so I want you to notice that word as we read this verse one more time. Verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I have that word highlighted in yellow the word example. Paul, writing to Timothy, says to him, Let no man despise your youth. Don't let them put you aside because of that. And he said, In response, He said, be an example of the believers. Be an example. You know, I really believe that that is what God has intended for all of us to do. Not just Timothy, not just people who are aspiring to lead and preach God's Word, not not just for people who are aspiring to give their their full time and attention uh, to ministry in some way. This is not just for pastors and missionaries and evangelists. Uh, Christian school teachers and the like. This is a verse for all of us to consider because I believe really this in essence captures God's method of ministry. I believe this is part of what God wants every believer to do. To be an example of the believers. Now he, he specifies certain categories How do you be an example of believers? Well, he went on to differentiate that and and to give those specific areas that you need to contemplate in your own life if you're going to be an example of of what a Christian ought to be. If you're going to be an example of a believer. Notice how he did that. He said, be an example of the believers in word. You know, think about the words that you speak, the things that you say, the things that you share with others. Paul is saying, you know, if you're going to be a good Christian, you need to be an example of the believers with your words. And I think that requires us then to to put a little effort. Maybe I should say put a little more effort into what we say. We might need to get a dictionary out from time to time and learn a little bit of vocabulary. Kind of expand our, our range, our use of words. Because if you're going to be an example of the believers, that means there's some words you should not use. And then there are some words you should use. We need to be careful to know what they are. We need to be careful to use them well. He said not only in word, but he said in conversation. Now you might be thinking, well, we just didn't we just cover that in word? But this word conversation is, an, is you know, back in old English, this word conversation didn't mean the talking that we do with one another. This word conversation meant the way you live. So today we use the word lifestyle. He's saying, be an example of the believers in the way you live, not just in the way you talk to one another. In the words you use, but then in the way you live, in your lifestyle. How you do what you do. What you do obviously then is important. What's included in your lifestyle? And would that be consistent with the behavior of a believer? And then, of course, how you do that, the methods you employ, the people uh, that you work with, that you choose to associate with uh, to carry out your lifestyle and, and your life's work. Think about that. I'm not talking about on the job, I'm talking about personally. Um, then it says, in charity. In charity, uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, that the greatest of these is charity. It's one of the greatest attributes in the Christian life. And Paul said instead of seeking gifts and emulating one another's talents, he said we really all should be aspiring to have charity in our life and in our service to the Lord. So if we're going to be an example of the believers, we have to include this one because this is one of the most important aspects of our life in service, charity. And then notice, if you continue in the list, <clears throat> he said in faith. This also is an essential element because just like a charity, excuse me, I missed one, in spirit. Uh, I think in spirit there, we would say the word attitude. You know, I believe if you're going to be an example of the believers, I think you ought to have a good attitude. I think you need to be a pleasant person. You need to be somebody that's that people are 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 comfortable and willing to be around. You don't need to be that guy or that that girl or that lady that nobody wants to work with. Nobody wants, Oh man, I don't want to be around them. Uh, that's not who we should be as believers. We should have a good attitude and spirit about us. And then he says, in faith, faith is another essential element because the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible please Him, Hebrews eleven six, 6. And then He says, in purity. In purity. Yes, our lives are to be pure. Now you might be thinking, well, preacher, you don't know. I mean, God, my purity's over. I, I had a rough background, whatever the case might be. God saved me out of some things. Fine, but going forward then, you should live a life of purity as an example of the believers. That's what He's talking about. Okay, He's not trying to highlight our faults or our misgivings of the past. He's just saying that as we go forth from, from the time we accept Christ going forward, that we're to uh, uh, strive to be uh, what God wants us to be in this element of purity. So this is how we are uh, to be an example. This is what it means. The word example in this verse comes from the word tupos. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that word means a model or a form or a pattern of something. It means that it's something to be copied or learned from. You know, we've all seen the way patterns work. You lay it on something and you trace it out. And what does that do? It gives you a replica uh, of that original. Uh, You know, we take a piece of paper and we put it on the copy machine. And what does it do? It gives us an exact copy. So now we have two, right? And so uh, the Bible's saying, and, and Paul is telling Timothy... To be an example, to be a copy, to let yourself become that traceable pattern that others can look to you and and they can follow your example in living out the Christian life. Jesus is our supreme example, of course. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.21 that Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. Just as Christ was an example for us, we should strive to be good examples for others. And that's exactly what Paul is teaching Timothy to do. If you're living for the Lord and following Christ, then you should be striving to be an example. If you're discipling others behind you, then you should be teaching them that part of their responsibility is to live as an example for even others who are coming along behind them to follow. We all find something to relate to in Christ. And we are helped by His example. Then as we begin to follow Christ, we are further helped by the example of those who live around us, who follow the Lord, who who put Christian teaching and doctrine in shoe leather so that we can see a practical, relevant, living example of what the Bible teaches in our modern setting. That is how important it is that we live as examples for Christ. In a similar way, others can be helped by your example if you would strive to be a good one. First Timothy 4.12, Paul told Timothy, Be thou an example of the believers. But in Titus chapter 2, verse 7, Paul told Titus something very similar. He said to Titus, striving or showing thyself a pattern of good works. In other words, he was giving him the same lesson. Titus, you need to be an example, a pattern that others can follow living for the Lord. Of course, anyone can be used as a bad example. Isn't that true? And that's not what you want to be. Don't serve as someone's example of how not to be. We want to be the example of how to be right? That's a little harder. It requires more effort and attention to detail. And you and I need to be striving for those details. The word example in our text is used in other places in the Scriptures. you taking notes, you can write these down. But in John 20, verse 25, the word is given as the word print, and it gives reproof in that context. In Acts 23, verse 25, the same word is used as the word manner, and that word gives us direction. In Romans 6, verse 17, the word is used as the word form, and it gives clarification. In 1 Corinthians 19, 16, we find again the word example, and there it gives warning. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, the word is examples. And we find there that it gives insight. In Philippians 3.17, we find the word singular, example, and we find that it gives guidance. In 1 Thessalonians 1.7, we find that word again, example, and it gives encouragement. And then in Titus 2.7, we looked at a moment ago, we find the word pattern, and it gives instruction. So think about all the helpful ways... That you will be serving others while you yourself are attempting to live as an example of the believers. You'll be giving reproof, direction, clarification, warning, insight, guidance, encouragement, and instruction. To all those who look upon and watch you live your life as an example of the believers. Now who of us have not needed some of that? along the way, just in our lives up to this point. And obviously, we're going to need it more as time goes forward. This morning, if you and I are going to be examples, as Paul encouraged Timothy and Titus and others to be, then there are some things that we need to consider doing of making our example count for the Lord. Number one, what you can do is to live what you've already learned. Live what you've already learned from the Scriptures. If you've been saved any length of time, there are some lessons, no doubt, that you could write down. You could say, hey, I've learned some things since I've been saved. I've learned some things about how to live the Christian life. And those are things that you should be consciously striving to live out on purpose in your daily life. Uh, Look with me in the same chapter, 1 Timothy 4. Look at verse 7. Notice what Paul said there. He said, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. You know, living out this godliness that we learn from the Bible, Paul referred to that as exercise. And it kind of is. It's a spiritual exercise. When you, when you strive to take what you learn from the Bible and live it out in your daily life, it, it feels often like going to the gym. And sometimes it's, it's, you know, you feel the strain of like, like you would, as if you were lifting weights. There are ways in which the godliness that we learn from scriptures kind of stretches our life and our character. It kind of stretches our will, if you will. We, we strive to practice and to put into practice to live what we've learned, and we find that often it stretches us. And we feel the tension of that in our lives. We feel that tension as we're making choices. We feel that tension as we're taking steps forward. We feel the stress between the flesh and the spirit as we choose to live for God and take actions that purposely honor Him. Doing what's right instead of what feels good. Taking the action that we know God would have us take instead of the first one that comes to our heart and mind. Instead of reacting, we respond. And we do that based on the Word of God and what we've learned and what we know. It's a good example, isn't it? So I guess we have some exercising to do. We have some stretching, don't we, to do for the Lord as we live our daily lives. With that in mind, turn to Acts chapter 24. In Acts 24, let's look there in verse 16. We find in verse 16... Paul is speaking again, and he says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. So he's saying again, he's striving, he's exercising to have a conscience that's void of offense. First, toward God. That order is very important. And then toward men. You know, I have found... that if if we have a conscience that is void of offense toward God, then often that gives us automatically a conscience that's void of offense toward men. Very rarely will you choose to do what's right in God's sight and it not be right in man's sight. Now on occasion, on occasion there are times when you'll choose to do something that's right And someone, not God, but some man, some woman, someone will get offended. Well, their problem then is really not with you, is it? Their problem really is with God. When you are living out what's right and you are living out the teachings of the Bible and they're offended by your actions, then they're offended by the truth and not really your person. Don't take it personal. You know, I say the same thing when people go out to witness and they approach someone, maybe go to their house and knock on the door and try to invite them to church. And those people say, I'm not interested and just close the door. Now, that rarely happens. But when it happens, it kind of stays with you, doesn't it? It stays with you because you take it personally. But the honest truth is those people are not rejecting you. They don't even know you. They don't know who you are. They don't know what you like or don't like. They don't know your personality. They don't know your friendliness. They're they're closing the door on what you represent at that moment, which is the Lord. And so you can't take that as a personal rejection. If you do, you'll never do anything for God. You'll always be mindful of those things that people might not like, and, and you'll stop just short of that. That's no way to live the Christian life. You can't be a good example that way. You have to remove that element out, and you have to go ahead and and exercise and put into practice, live what you learn, regardless of how people respond to it. If you do what's right in God's eyes and have a clear conscience toward God, then you will most of the time have a clear conscience toward men. When I think about this exercising godliness and living what you learned, I can't help... But think, obviously there are good examples of this. We have, the Bible is full of them. But, but on the opposite scale, there's also bad examples. There, there are people who, who didn't do this. You know, and sometimes we, we think about exercising godliness, and sometimes because of intimidation and because of fear, we, we, we don't really want to stand out in the crowd. We're kind of afraid of being under the spotlight. And so sometimes we we want to stop just short of that. But I want to remind you, when you do, you run the risk of being like those who did not live as an example. Who might that be? I'm sure you can think of some. I thought of Lot. How about Lot, who didn't quite live for the Lord. He stayed under the radar... He was in a place that was repulsive to God and he didn't stand out among men because he didn't want to offend. He wanted to fit in. And we know he worked really hard to fit in because he called his peers brethren. And we know they were not really brethren. They were not spiritual believers, followers of Christ. They were not Israelites. They were not God's people. But in his effort to connect with them and befriend them, he called them, he referred to them as brethren, even when they were doing wicked deeds. Matter of fact, even Lot made some wicked suggestions to them. I won't go into detail, that's another sermon. But the problem with Lot's testimony not being what it should, the problem with Lot not really exercising godliness, not living what he learned from his uncle Abraham. When the the rubber met the road and everything hit the fan and God was about to judge this place where Lot lived, he went to his family, his daughters, and his son-in-laws, and he told them, God's judgment is coming. And do you remember what the Bible says about their response? It says that to his son-in-laws, He seemed as one that mocked. In other words, they didn't take him serious. Lot, are you joking? Are you serious right now? Come on. Not only did they not take him serious, they did not believe his words. Why? Why would they not? Because Lot had not been known for walking close with God. So now how would he know what God is about to do? Hey man, are you preaching to us? When you have sat among us doing everything we do. Yes, that was their attitude toward him. And they laughed when he said judgment was coming. The problem was so bad that Lot could not get them to believe that judgment was coming. And because of that, the angels had to physically lay hold on Lot and his wife and pull them out of the city. They said, you have to leave because we can't do anything until you're gone. By the way, isn't that a comforting thing to know that God would not judge the city that was worthy of judgment with two righteous people in it? God said, you have to come out. And once they left, then the judgment of God fell. It's a shadowing, it's a picture, if you will, of future times. God will judge the world once again. But before He does, He's going to take His children out of the way. We call it the rapture. All right, You, you can refer to it by whatever term you want. Paul said there's going to be, we're going to be caught up. With him. That's where we get the word rapture. It means to catch away. God is going to remove, just as he did, he removed Lot uh, from, from judgment. God will remove his children in the end times before judgment. But when I think of the story of Lot, you know, people through down through time, people have made fun of Lot's wife for looking back. Somebody said, Well, I know why she looked back. She forgot her purse. and, And it may be funny. But it's not funny when you think of the real reason she looked back. The real reason she looked back is because her children were there. Because in their lifetime, they failed to influence their own children. Because Abraham prayed, surely... Lot has been able to influence at least two people outside of his family. Surely there's at least ten righteous in the city. And God said, if I find ten, I will not destroy the place. But he couldn't find ten. And if God destroyed the city with his daughters and son-in-laws still there, It means they grew up under his influence without ever becoming a believer. Sad. Sad. Humanly speaking, now we can understand why his wife looked back, longing for her children. But I'm going to tell you this morning, it's equally sad when we don't at least try To be an example of the believers. Not just in the moments when it counts, but all the time. So that others looking on can believe. You know, we should want to influence people around us. We should want our lives to be a testimony that our God is real and He's true. He's true to His Word. We should want our lives to be a testimony that says God is good and His Word is good for us. And that only happens when we exercise godliness and live out what we learn. The way to make your example count is to live what you've already learned. Number two, to sharpen your example by continuing. This isn't just a Sunday morning thing. It's a every day of the week. It's a 24-7 thing. That we live what we learn and that we continue. So what do we continue then? Well, first we continue to learn. Look at 1 Timothy 4. You're in the same chapter. Look at verse 13. Paul writing to Timothy after he said, be an example of believers, he said in verse 13, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. What was he saying? Timothy Keep on listening. Keep on learning. Keep on growing. You know, God doesn't want us to just grow a little bit and then reach a plateau and stay there. You remember we said before, I think on Wednesday night, that the Old Testament story of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, that that was a picture of the Christian life. And them crossing over Jordan into Canaan, Canaan was to represent the victorious Christian life, not heaven. There are not going to be enemies in heaven that you and I have to battle and overcome and cast out. That was not a picture of heaven. It was a picture of life down here with Jesus. It was a picture of living for the Lord. It was a picture of striving and growing and gaining victory in our lives. That's what God wants us to do. In order to do that, we have to continue learning and we have to continue living. You know, there were times, though, when Israel said, hey, let's just go back to Egypt. And there are times in Christian living when people do that. They just get tired of it all and they go back to being who they were before they got saved. God's not interested in that. There were some people who who said, hey, Moses, look, it looks good right here. Uh... We're just going to camp out right here and stay here. We don't want to keep going. We don't want to continue. We don't want to go into the promised land. This looks pretty good. We'll just settle right here. Remember, there were two tribes of Israel that stayed on the other side. People do that sometimes. God doesn't want you to plateau. He wants you to keep on going and keep on growing. God wants you to keep doing, keep learning. Keep learning. So Paul told Timothy, give attendance to reading. And we're reading our Bibles together. And you know, as you read through the Word of God this year, you ought to be looking for things that will help you grow personally. He said, give attendance to exhortation. Show up at church and be challenged by the Word of God. Let God speak to your heart. Hey, you know, some Christians make the mistake of coming to church and listening to the sermon." And going out those doors and thinking, oh, man, I know who he was preaching about today, brother. Woo, he gave it to him good, didn't he? You know what you just did? You just missed what God had for you. And that's certainly nothing to celebrate. Give attendance to exhortation. Listen to every message for what God has for you in it. Don't listen to the message as if it's for other people. Listen to it as if it's for you. And get all you can so that you can grow from it. And he said, give attendance to doctrine, to teaching, to learning. Listen, we should do that. Sharpen your example by continuing to learn. And then number two, sharpen your example by continuing to live what you learn. You know, we we live the easy stuff, the grace that we learn from salvation and the forgiveness of sins. You know, that's fun and easy to live. But after that, we're going to learn some principles of godliness from the Bible. And you know, those things are, are just as important that we live out as what we learned in the beginning. And we're to continue living what we learn. Notice in verse 16 of the same chapter, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. He said, Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. You should underline that. Don't tell me that your example doesn't matter. Don't tell me that it doesn't matter how you live or what you do, because it does. And verse 16 is a reminder to us that the way we live makes a difference in how we influence other people. You know, the Bible says no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. We all have influence on others somewhere. Somebody's watching you. Even if you don't realize it, you're influencing someone. And so Paul said, not only will you save yourself, by doing these things, by continuing to live what you learn, but you're going to save them that hear thee. He's saying, Timothy, don't stagnate. Don't plateau. Don't stop what you're doing in the Christian life. If you're going to be an example, you need to continue. Continue learning and continue living what you learn. And Then number three, look for opportunities to help others. We said first, live what you've already learned. And, and if you haven't been in the, in the exercise of that, then you need to get into it and live what you've already learned until you get good in the practice of living for Christ. And then we said after that, you need to continue both learning and living what you learn in the Christian life. But at some point, you ought to get to the place where you're able then to turn around and help others. Look for opportunities to help others. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2, we use this in our new members' class. We go back to this text and we learn some things about the first century church, how they lived and operated, and, and what they did to assimilate or bring in these new believers into the fellowship. This is very key. And if you want to be mature as a Christian, then you need to practice verse 42. It says this, "...and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers." And they continued steadfastly in these things. Now, why do you think these new believers continued steadfastly in these things? Well, I know because, well, you know, preacher, when people get saved, they're all excited. I know that. And some of us need to get reacquainted with that excitement. Amen? We shouldn't let that die. We need to find ourselves excited again for the Lord. But it wasn't just their enthusiasm that just plugged them right in. What is written between the lines is this. There were some more mature saints who gathered around them and brought them along their way. Because how could they continue in this doctrine as a new believer with no one to teach it? Somebody had to be the teacher. And it wasn't one of the new ones, it was somebody who knew what to teach. It was somebody that had been around enough to know what the doctrine is, to guide those new ones into understanding it, to point them to the Scriptures and say, Thus saith the Lord. How did they they continue in this breaking of bread and fellowship and in prayers? Somebody came alongside them and said, Come fellowship with us. Hey, we're we're meeting at so-and-so at this time. Somebody said, Hey, let's pray together. Here's some things we're going to pray about. Somebody took the initiative. Somebody, somebody took the lead to help them to get from where they were to where they needed to be in Christ. It's interesting to me as I read Acts chapter 2. We act like it just magically happened. Whoop, there they went. Oh, wow. Hole in one, goal, right? How did that happen? What we don't read is the structure, the organization that had to be in place behind these verses in order for these things to happen, to take, you know, several thousand believers and just assimilate them right into the church without a hitch, no hiccups. Have you ever seen a church do that? This is really difficult. What they did was nothing short of miraculous. I'm just telling you, it only happened because there were some mature believers who stopped and looked back. And what were they looking for? They were looking for opportunities to help others. They were looking for people who are growing, are learning, and they came alongside to guide them. You remember what we said? Everybody needs three things to grow. They need knowledge, they need experience, And they need guidance. Everybody needs guidance. And we who have found it, sometimes the hard way, uh, sometimes we who have found our way, you know, blindly feeling the walls around us through life, okay, what do we need to do? We need to turn back and we need to give that guidance that we've discovered and we need to help others. You know, look, if you've ever been through a hard time without guidance then nobody should have to convince you how important guidance is in hard times. You should be the first in line to help folks get through those troubles because you know how it is to go through it alone. You know, there are, there are obviously things that we are to go through alone. Um, alone with God. God has designed some alone times in the Christian life where we get close to Him. And the best advice I can give you this morning is to remember that. And when that time comes that you feel so alone, seek the Lord and draw close to Him. Because the Bible says if you draw nigh to Him, He will draw nigh to you. God places those alone times in our lives so that We can get closer to Him. And you know what? We don't realize His presence often in the dark. We don't always notice His comfort and His presence in the fire. But He's there. Reading through the Bible again, I was reminded, I think it's in Exodus. It talks about the thick darkness. And it says, where God was. Think about that. Thinking about the the three Hebrew children that got thrown in the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel. And what does the Bible say? It says the king looked in and saw a fourth man. There's nothing in the Bible that says they saw him, but people who looking on to the situation, they saw. And he said, the fourth man, he's likened to the Son of God. In other words, God's presence was with them in the fire, even though they themselves did not detect it. They thought they were alone. In the fire. But God was with them there. And isn't it amazing that other people could see that? Boy, God is with you in this fiery trial you're going through. But you yourself may feel like you're all alone. That's why you can't always go by your feelings. You can't trust your feelings. I remember Brother Roloff was an old-time preacher who was also a pilot. And he used to say, you know, because pilots experience vertigo and stuff like that, so they can't go by their feelings when they're flying. They have to trust the instrument panel to know whether they're right side up or upside down. I mean, otherwise, they might steer themselves into a mountain or something. You're going through the fog and you can't see out the window. What do you do? Well, you have to trust your navigational system. Well, see, that this is our navigational system right here. And as believers, we have to do what Brother Olaf said. We have to trust Him when we can't track Him. We have to know that He's with us because He said He would be even when we can't see Him and we may not feel Him. Because there are times in the Bible when He he showed us that that would be the case like the examples I just gave you. And so we can cling in our hearts to Him and we can draw close to Him and draw nigh to Him and we can trust Him and follow Him even when we don't feel Him. Don't let your feelings get you off track. Don't let your feelings cause you to quit. Don't let your feelings talk you out of what God's doing in your life and the things that you need to put into practice. Trust Him when you can't track Him. Turn around and help others. What do I do, preacher? How do I help them? Well, first, you help them learn. Did you notice in verse 42, it said they continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship? Not just fellowship. Doctrine and fellowship. That means somebody had to be teaching them. By the way, in this same text, it says they were having services, verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord. They were having services and and communications and studying the Word of God. It says daily. One of the reasons why I think they had to do it daily is because there were so many people. The ones who were doing the teaching probably had to get with you know, different groups every day just to get around to everybody. That's how many there were. But they were doing it, and they were teaching, and they were involved. The Bible doesn't name them. There was somebody there who looked back. Somebody said, let me help you. Somebody said, let me teach you. Let me show you. Let me explain the Word of God to you. Help them learn, and then help them live what they learn. You know, sometimes people read the Bible and and they understand what it says, but they don't know how to put it into practice. And that's what we call application. First, we want to deal with interpretation. Interpretation is understanding what the Bible says and what it means. That's interpretation. That's doctrine. We need to do that. But then there's application. How do I apply this to my life? How do I use this in everyday living? That's application. And you know, we need to help people with application. People need to read the Bible, and then they need to look up and see a Christian who's exercising themselves in godliness, who's living what they've learned and go, oh, that's what it means. Now I get it. Now I understand. So I ask you today, could you be that person? What if today you walked in the door and one of the men on our shepherds committee met you there and said, hey, uh, we've got a new believer and uh, we're going to send them home with you so that they can learn how to be a Christian. <laughs> would you say, oh, me? Or <laughs> Right? Well, how, what would your reaction be? We just told them to watch everything that you do. What kind of message would it send? You know, it makes us think, doesn't it? I hope it makes us think in the right direction. When I think of this, and these who served quietly in Acts chapter 2, without name recognition at all, it reminds me of the movie Shephi. I don't know if you've ever seen that. How many of you have seen the movie Shephi? Everybody seen that? It's a really a good, a good movie. It's a good show about a, a guy who wanted to serve the Lord, and he just at first couldn't figure out what that meant. What, what, how would he serve the Lord? What was he supposed to do? Well, the thing to do back then was to preach. And he tried preaching, and it scared him to death. He really didn't like preaching. Later on, he kind of found his groove, and, and this is what he said. He said, no, I'm, I'm not here to preach the meeting. He said, I'm just here to help others. I'm here to help lost souls on their way. So what Shephi would do is kind of sit on the side, and, and uh, during the invitation, he would go and he would talk to people, and he would pray with them and help them get to the altar so they could get saved. When they had the big tent meetings, Sheffy took his, his, uh, his little wool and he went on the side of the hill and he would just pray that God would work in people's hearts. He said he saw himself as a helper. And you know, that's how we need to see ourselves, just helping others, help people find their way to Jesus, help people learn the Word of God, help people live what they learn. It's a great example, isn't it? Sheffy was certainly an example that all of us could learn from. If you're going to be an example like this, it's going to take a few things. It's going to take consistency. Because you can't be a proper example just doing it once a week. You can't be a proper example just doing it at church and not at home and not in your neighborhood, not, not among your family, and not among your coworkers. It takes consistency. And then it takes courage. It takes courage because we have to choose to be what God wants us to be in spite of how others may view that or what they might think of it. It takes courage. It takes commitment. Some determination in your own heart to say, this is what I'm going to do. By the grace of God, I'm going to be an example of the believers. To make a difference, you'll need conviction because you've got to believe certain things to be true to act upon those things, especially in the face of opposition or intimidation. You're going to have to have some conviction about you to be a good example. But it's also going to take some compassion because you're going to need to help others from where they are to where they need to be. And the first ingredient you're going to have to have to reach them and help them is compassion. You have to be compassionate to them. You can't look at them as if they should already be there. You know, this isn't beam me up, Scotty. We have to help people grow, and that comes one step at a time. And we have to have patience and compassion for those who are growing and who are learning to follow the Lord, maybe for those who are just now receiving some help in doing so. We have to help them. Nothing will encourage morale among Christians more than your good example. And nothing will discourage Christian living among your friends more then your bad example. Think about that. How important it is. No wonder Paul said to Timothy, Be thou an example of the believers. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Paul had already been that example to Timothy. And now he's encouraging Timothy to take up the mantle, take up the responsibility, and you too turn and be an example to somebody else just like you needed the example of someone in your life. I don't know who that person is, but I'm sure you could name them. God wants you to turn around and be that kind of example for someone else who's finding their way behind you. Paul told Timothy, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, all these things. And so now he's saying, It's your turn. Timothy, be thou an example of the believers. Let's ask God to help us that we too might be an example of the believers. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you for the precious word of God. Lord, we thank you for the clarity, the simplicity, the truth of this scripture. How it encourages and guides us. Lord, and, and, and then as we realize the impact of this, how powerful this is in the lives of others who are looking for direction, for clarification, who are looking for guidance, encouragement, instruction. Lord, help us to provide some of that by being an example of the believers. May we ever help others learn and live what they learn, just like in Acts chapter 2. Lord, just like others have done for us, use us, use our examples to help those coming behind. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.